You know, um, I think that all of us can testify that life is a messy business, right? Life is a messy business. So many things happen to us. Anytime people involve, something going to be messy. I don't care where you are, in the church house, in your home, on your job, something going to be messy. Something is going to need correctness. Something is going to need fixing because anytime people are involved, you know, Sin is going to be involved. And that's why you need Jesus to step in to help straighten out the mess. And so my question to you is, you know, if life is a messy business, then how do you prepare for it? How do you prepare for it? When do you prepare for it? When do you start? When is it too early to start preparing for life? Right? When should you get started on getting your mess straightened out? And so I really want you to I really want you to think about that question. I want you to think about, you know, as you were growing up, how were you prepared for the things that you are facing now? How were you prepared to deal with the mess that's either going on on the inside of you or going on around you or whatever? How were you prepared for that mess, right? How were you prepared to deal with life, death, dating, marriage, raising kids, sickness, being an adult, grieving, Etc. All of those many things. How are you prepared for that? Amen. Amen. And so, as I have been going through this this series through these these this series in Leviticus, right? God has been trying to teach us how to find holiness in messy situations. He's been teaching us how to be a, a, a priestly tribe, right? How to offer ourselves to him, how to not make it sugar-coated worship, how to fellowship with one another, why Jesus is the prescription going on down the line. He's been teaching us like how to behave in the church and out of the church. He's been trying to teach us how to be holy in messy situations. In the situations that we are in and we find ourselves in sometimes, we got to understand that they just didn't start yesterday. It might be bad right now, but it just didn't start yesterday. The news you got last week, right, it, it just didn't start right there. It seemed like it. It seemed like we just all of a sudden we get hit with mess. But mess has been mess since you was born. Because Psalms says that we were shaped and formed in. And so that's why I ask you the question, when did you start preparing to deal with it? Did you wait till you're 20? 
Do you wait till you're 25? Do you wait till you're 30? Right? Do you wait till you're old and you feel like you're getting ready to get out of here and be like, let me get my affairs in order. Let me deal with my mess, right? What age do you start the process to strive for holiness? At what age do you start the process? Like, at what age do you start teaching your children about holiness? At what, what level? Like, what when do you say you're going to need this lesson to deal with the mess that you're going to face when you're 30? Right? And so I got in my notes, I say, some of y'all don't get it. Like, we verbally say, I know what I should do and what I should have done, right? But I do. Or I did the opposite. I know what I should have did, but I did the opposite. And then we wonder why we still in a mess. Right? You, you know that you, at some point, if you don't take the trash out, the house going to start stinking. You know that. You know if you don't get your oil changed, eventually the car going to break down. You know that if you don't do certain things, right, eventually something is going to give out or tear up. So why is it that we don't deal with our mess knowing that eventually it's going to come to a head? Right? We really don't understand the mess that we're in and what's more we've been, we've been failing to prepare for for most of our life. And that just doesn't, that lack of preparation just doesn't affect us. It affects all the generations that come after us. If you don't deal with your mess, you're going to pass it down to your baby. Right. And if you have not been preparing them since they were little, you can't turn around and say, why are they acting like this now? They were shaped and formed in it, just like you were shaped and formed in it. Right. I know I'm stepping on toes, but hit, hit the heart behind what I'm saying. And it goes back before you was even born. It go all the way back to the garden. It go all the way back. So, right, I'm not just like, I'm pointing a finger, but I ain't pointing a finger, if that makes sense. You have to prepare. You have to teach. You have to prepare for messy situations. As long as you're on this earth, you're going to find yourself in messy situations. You got to prepare for them. Right? So, today I'm going to talk to you about Leviticus 12 and the rituals pertaining to childbirth. Leviticus 12 tells about what you're supposed to do or what a woman is supposed to do when she has a baby. But I want to teach Leviticus 12 using a New Testament narrative that most of us are familiar with, and it's, it's the perfect season for it. It's the nativity story. And most of us know the nativity story. We know Jesus in the manger, Jesus in the swaddling clothes, the shepherds came, you know, the angels singing. We know all of those things. We know that it wasn't room in the end, right? That's the Jesus story. That's generally what is preached, the Christmas message. But as I was reading Luke chapter 2 in preparation of this sermon, I started to see things. I started to see how Mary and Joseph were prepared for the baby that was to come. And I started to notice the steps that they took, right? Not when Jesus got 12. But the steps that they took the week Jesus was born. And I started to think about uh, postpartum. And I started to think about this, this, the struggles that parents face 
that first month or two when the baby is born, like the not sleeping and the, you know, the baby just cranky or just all the all the stuff that comes with it. Even the, the cultural things where, you know, they tell mama, you don't leave out the house with the baby for so long because of you gonna get sick, the baby might get you know, like all of those things. And as I started to read Leviticus, I'm like, you know, God, we be thinking we smarter. This just grandma wisdom. I say, but everything is in the word. We just don't use our time wisely. And it started to come back to me. I remember when, when Izzy was born. I remember when she was born and when Ethan was born. And I would get up at that two or that three or whatever to get him a bottle and be trying to rock them to go back to sleep. I would be singing or humming, Jesus loves me. And a lot of times that would put them to sleep. And I think about how, you know, as parents, we, and I'm, and I'm using the word complain loosely. We complain about, oh man, this baby won't sleep and I got to get up and, right? But if we use that time to pray over our child, like, think about how powerful that is. You singing hymns and praying over your child like the word tells you to do. Right? Instead of complaining about your loss of sleep or being tired, you spending that time sowing seeds and, and speaking over your child, right? Preparing them for the mess that they're going to face when you're not able to hold them in your arms anymore. Right. And so we know the nativity story, but the reference to Leviticus is often left out. I've read that story a bunch of times, but not until I started preaching Leviticus did I understand that what they were doing in Luke 2 was what Leviticus told them to do. And it's a shame because that reference to Leviticus is a is a reference to holiness. So that means from the first week Jesus was born, he was, he was, his parents were teaching him and practicing holiness from week one. From week one. Not I'm going to wait till you one years old or, you know, I'm, I'm going to wait till, you know, when you eight, I can't talk to you about God because you're not mature enough yet. I got to wait till you're 15. It's too late. The world already in that year. You done lost them. You lost them. Now they're going to have to go through mess and try to figure out how to fight out of it. Right? I'm not saying if, if you raise them and when they like a little baby like that, that they're not going to go through nothing. But I'm, I guarantee you, they're going to have tools that other people that don't, ha don't have that's going to allow them to survive. So Luke 2, and y'all can remain seated. I'm going to be paraphrasing. I'm reading Luke 2, verses 4 through 24. It says, Joseph went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to the town of Bethlehem in Judah, the birthplace of King David. Joseph went there because he was a descendant of David. He went to register with Mary, who was promised in marriage to him. She was pregnant. And while they were in Bethlehem, the, kind, the time came for her to have her baby. So I want y'all to understand, number one, they left Nazareth, they went to Bethlehem, so they were not at home. They was like out of town. And she got ready to have the baby. But y'all got to understand the reason that they were out of town. They were out of town because they were doing 
They were there to celebrate Passover, and they were there because the king wanted to take a census. Right? So while they were in Bethlehem, the time came for her to have her baby. She gave birth to her first son, wrapped him in clothes, and laid him in a manger. There was no room for them to stay in the inn. There were some shepherds in that part of the country who were spending the night in the fields taking care of their flocks. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone over them. They were terribly afraid. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I am here with good news for you. Jesus' very birth introduces good news. I need y'all to think about because remember now, I'm trying to connect these together. Leviticus 12, we're talking about childbirth, what a woman does when she gets ready to have a baby. The devil can't give life. Only God can. Life is something amazing. It's a messy, painful process. It's blood involved. It's water involved. Right? It's painful. Right? But it's a beautiful thing now. It's a beautiful thing. So the angels appear to these shepherds and like, don't be afraid, right? I know this may seem scary, but something good is happening, right? The angels say, I am here with good news for you, which will bring great joy to all the people. This very day in David's town, your Savior was born, Christ the Lord. And this is what will prove it to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger. Suddenly a great army of heaven's angels appeared with the angels singing praises to God. That's what that song, Hark the Angels Have. Yeah, that song, y'all got it. All right. Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those who are pleased. When the angels went away from them and back to heaven, heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happening. How many of y'all run to, run to life, run to birth? When God is saying, I'm trying to do something in you, do you get afraid and say, hold on now. God, I hear your voice. Like the angels appear to these shepherds and they kind of got afraid. How many of y'all, when you hear like God is saying, I'm trying to move, right? And the crazy thing is the shepherds weren't getting ready to have a baby. So I'm like, what y'all afraid of? Y'all ain't the one pushing out the baby. Y'all ain't the one going through the birth plane. And, and that's the thing, like Jesus took all the pain, right? He, we, not, we, don't, we not taking the full, the, the full way to see it. He took all of that pain and he's just like, just participate in what I'm trying to do. What are you afraid of? When somebody say, do you want to give your life to Jesus? It's a mess already. Amen. What are you afraid of? Right? I'm try- I've been trying to figure out why are we afraid of cleaning up? Yes, you mess it. Like when the baby, what? When the baby comes out, it's covered in stuff. It's covered in mess. What they do? They wipe the baby down. They clean it. They, the baby smell better than anything. That new baby smell? <laughs> that new that, that 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 fresh baby breath, that new baby, right? But it, the baby came out a mess. What are you afraid of? Right? Okay. We wrong. So 
They said, they said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has happened, which the Lord has told us. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph, and they saw the baby lying in a manger. When the shepherds saw him, they told them what the angel had said about the child. All who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said. And I love this 19th verse. It says that Mary remembered all these things and thought deeply about them. Even Mary didn't think to understand what was happening. Even Mary didn't understand what was happening. She didn't even understand what just came out of her womb. Now, the angel Gabriel had been talking to Mary like, you know, it takes nine months to have a baby. God had been talking to her like, my brain said that would have been enough. Like, I'm about to have it. But that, you know, we we trust, but it's still something that'd be like, real? I heard. Like, even though the sign, she should have been, could have been stoned. Right? God made a way with Joseph. Joseph could have went the other way. God started talking to Joseph and like, no, stay with him, marry him. Right? Protect him. God just working, right? He's working in what could have been a messy situation to bring this good news about. That's what he's doing for us, but we don't see it. We don't see it. We don't see it. I'm getting to the Leviticus part, though. So, I'm talking about Joseph and Mary. God can't work in your messy situation if you don't want him to. But I'm, what I'm telling you is he's willing to work in your messy situation. But you got to be like Joseph and Mary. I ain't got to that part yet. Lord, I thank you. The 19th verse says, Mary, she's listening to what these shepherds are saying. She remember these things. She's thinking deeply about them. It says, when the shepherds went back singing praises to God for all they heard and seen, they had been just as the angel told them. And then this is what we're getting into Leviticus 21. 21 means distress. In times of distress, Right? Leviticus, right? A week later, seven days later. Right? Seven, God's perfect number, 21 in times of distress. Seven days later, the time came for the baby to be circumcised. That's Old Testament right there. Right? The time came for the baby to be circumcised, and he was named Jesus. The name which the angel had given him before he had even been conceived. All of that is Old Testament. So why do you keep saying that's Old Testament? Because I want y'all to understand Mary and Joseph was doing what the law required of them. They were taking the steps. They were being obedient to God's word. The word said seven days after you have a boy, he is to be circumcised and named. So I imagine Mary for seven days thinking deeply about who her son was, thinking deeply about what the angel Gabriel had told. For seven days, she probably was just praying over this new found baby. And then on that, 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 that week later, on that eighth day, she was like, we're going to fulfill what the law say do. We're going to circumcise, which means we going to circumcision was a sign that this child had been set apart. We're going to give our baby, we're going to set our baby apart, and we're going to name him Jesus. 
just as God told us, we are going to be obedient. When God is trying to birth something in your life, number one, take the time to think, sit there and think deeply about what God is saying. Think deeply about what he's promised. Think deeply about all the stuff that he has brought you through. All the times he made a way that you could have been stoned, that people misunderstood the process, that the baby was leaping in your stomach when you met Elizabeth. Right? That he chose you in the first place. Like, why me? Think deeply about all the things that God has said. When he's trying to birth something, think deeply about that thing. Then when the time comes, have enough sense to obey and say, Lord, I'm willing to set myself aside for you. And I'm going to be called what you say I'm called. She didn't decide I want to name Jesus Matthew. She said, no, I'm going to call him Jesus like the angel told me to call him. Sometimes you got to accept what God is trying to do in your life. Set yourself apart and say, I'm going to be called what he say I am. Not what other people call. It's something about names. And that's why that's part of it. In Leviticus, in the Hebrew, names mean something. You don't just name your child something random. Names mean something. Right? And then the 22nd verse, going deeper in the Hebrew, 22 means sonship, a child of the king, a part of the royal family. Like you, you adopted in through Jesus. You were part, like you, you, all the promises, all the inheritance, all of that, right? 22. Right, but to have those things, you got to be in the word. Joseph and Mary were in the word. The time came for Joseph and Mary to perform to perform the ceremony of purification. Where that's at is in Leviticus. It's in Leviticus chapter 12, to be exact. It describes the, the, the purification ceremony as the law commanded. So they took the child to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of God, every firstborn male is to be dedicated to the Lord. They also went to offer a sacrifice, a pair of doves and two young pigeons as required by the law of the Lord. Them doves and them pigeons should sound familiar to you because we've been talking about them in Leviticus. Do you notice what they offer? Doves and two pigeons. So that means that Joseph and Mary would not reach. Because y'all remember me telling you back in Leviticus that if you had money, you were offering a bull, a sheep, a goat. But if you couldn't afford them things, you had to offer a bird. Right? So these are not people of, of great wealth. They done went from Nazareth to Bethlehem to Jerusalem. Why? Because we're doing it in obedience to the Lord. Right? Matter of fact, they didn't even have a mean that the in, in the in the end was full. That's why Jesus ended up getting born in a, in a stable. It's like we be worried about our situation and want God to work out our mess. But God is like, I got you. I got you. Jewish families would go through several ceremonies soon after the baby's birth. The first one was circumcision. Every boy was circumcised and named on the eighth day after birth. That's Leviticus 12. Circumcision symbolizes the Jews' separation from the Gentiles and their unique relationship with God. When God 
is trying to birth something in your life, I'm going I'm to give this to y'all in the physical and the natural. When you get ready to have that baby, Malik, you need to take time because I'm going to get in that. It's so good to me. I'll be getting excited. I'll be jumping ahead and remember I got to jump back to explain something else. But when you get ready to have that baby, even when they, as soon as they bring her in that room and lay her across your chest, you need to immediately start praying. Don't wait. Start covering her right then and there. Start covering her right then and there. Jordan, when you hold your daughter in your arms for the first time, start covering her right then and there. Start speaking over here. You are set aside to the Lord. Your name means this. You are this. You are alive. I wish I had read Leviticus when I had my first child. Not the not the sake Now we prayed over our babies, but I didn't stop waiting. I didn't see the urgency in it. Right? Not because I didn't want to, I just didn't. Ain't nobody preach Leviticus. <laughs> I didn't see the urgency in it. Hallelujah. So it will start with circumcision, right? It represented, it represented separation in a unique relationship with God. And then the second thing, when it says that they had to go present them to the Lord, did y'all know that you had to buy your child back from God? That's what the offering was for. It was to redeem your child. So by buying them back, you are acknowledging that this child does not belong to me. This child belongs to you. So in order for me to raise this child, I got to offer a sacrifice to you, God, or else... Or else I don't really, I don't really, this ain't, I don't, this not mine. It's a privilege to be a parent. When you get ready to have a child or when God gets ready, because so that's in the natural, but I'm also talking to those who don't have kids. When God is just trying to birth something spiritual in your life, it requires a sacrifice because whatever the blessing is, it don't belong to you in the first place. It belongs to God. In order to get it, in order to get it, some type of sacrifice, you got to go up and smoke. You got to say, Lord, take me. Right? We want to get out of the mess without having the circle fly. All these things I've been preaching in Leviticus is to deal with sin, is to teach holiness, is to teach how to straighten up, is to teach how to walk, how to talk, how to dress, how to eat, how to live. If you want to be healthy, you can't keep eating the same stuff. You got to clean up. You can't eat mess. Right? You, if you want to be healthy, you can't live mess. You got to exercise. You got to go see Kiara. You got to do something. You, if you want to get out of the mess, you got to do something. It's sacrifice. Time. Resources. Some type of sacrifice has to occur to get out of a messy situation. They had to redeem the firstborn. A firstborn son would be presented to God one month after birth. Exodus 13 and 2. And Numbers 18, 15 through 16. This ceremony included buying back or redeeming the child from God through an offering. This way, the parents were acknowledging that the child has belonged to God. Right? Acknowledging that the child belonged to God, who, ha who alone has the power to give life. That's why I say the child don't belong to you. You know how many women are barren? 
If God didn't put the baby in your stomach, you wouldn't have had the baby. You can have sex and not get pregnant. God had to put the baby there. So now let me tell you this. Maybe you missed your chance to redeem your child. It's not too late. You can redeem your babies right now. You can redeem your daughters right now. But it's going to require a sacrifice. It's going to require a sacrifice. Oh, it ain't. It, it's good to me. It's gonna. It's gonna require. It's gonna require a sacrifice. You're gonna have to buy them back. You're gonna have to buy them back. They belong to God, right? But if if, if you ain't if you ain't getting when they were little, now not only do you have to buy them back for God, you might have to do a little wrestling with the devil, a little rebuking, a little fasting, a little praying. Because especially if they are over the age of accountability, they might serve a different master at this point. They might serve a different, because they have made choices on their own about who they're going to serve. Now that's going to require a different type of sacrifice for you now that they're older than it did when, when they was younger. That's in here too, but getting that. Right. So after these, the things so circumcision, naming, the 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 redeeming, and then it came to the purification of the mother. This is the majority of Leviticus twelve. It talked about purifying the mother after she has given labor. Purifying the mother after she has given labor. So everything I have told you right now is kind of about the son, like. When you give birth to a son, circumcision, redeeming back. But now I'm getting into mothers and daughters. Purification for the mother. For 40 days after the birth of a son and 80 days after the birth of a daughter, a mother was ceremonially unclean and could not enter the temple. So for about a month and a half after you have a baby, that's like six weeks, like old people tell you, you're supposed to sit down somewhere. For about six weeks after you have a baby, you're supposed to sit down with your son. What you supposed to be doing during them six weeks? Covering, praying, strengthening, speaking into, recovering because you just could. You could have died in childbirth, thanking God that you survived. You, you could have bled out on the table. You were in pain and God kept you. The doctors could have made a mistake. You supposed to be sitting them six weeks connecting yourself back to God. So then it's a, so for 40 days with a, with a son, but for 80 days with a daughter. Why 80 days with a daughter? And so I was reading and in my study and was saying, not because it, the, the daughter didn't get double time because women were less than men or they were more dirty than men. Right? You spend more time with your daughter because women are more vulnerable than men. You had to do a, a double amount of prayer for your daughter. Do y'all know how many women are sexually abused? How many women are physically abused? And I know that men get sexually abused too, but I guarantee you it's not as much as women. Not trying to minimize anything that has ever happened to any man, but I guarantee you it's not as much as women. 
So God basically is saying, when you have a daughter, you need to double up on the amount of time that you spend in covering, in prayer, in connecting yourself back to God to protect as the head of your household. Right? So when I say ceremonially unclean, the woman couldn't do her normal her normal day-to-day stuff in the church. Right? But the messed up part about that is what happened if, 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 if let's just say all the women in this church gave birth and couldn't do what they normally do. We ain't have a church. Because of one, two, three, four, five men. Right? It's more than that, but yeah, kind of fast. Church gonna shut down. So it's showing us the importance of having men in the church that's prepared to serve and take over. Who gonna, who, who gonna cook the Sunday? Like, if, if the women don't come, we ain't having Sunday school no more? <laughs> we ain't no more breakfast for the kids? Right? All this stuff makes sense. So when you, well, as a man, when you start talking about the head of your household, right? When you start talking about being the priest of your home, when that woman had the baby, they're not to say she's just exempt from doing anything, but once they have given life, which is, is as a man, my seed, my, my name, once you have done like you deserve, you deserve to take a break, baby. <laughs> which speaks to why you're supposed to do stuff in order. So you get out there and you have a baby out of wedlock. Come on now. Who covering you? Who covering that child? Who's covering you as a mother and who's covering that child? And that is why God said, protect the widows in the orphans. That's why God, that's why God speaks about, and when I say he speaks about women being a weaker vessel, I'm not saying lesser in terms of worth, but there is a level of protection that's supposed to be had. Lord, I thank you. It says the mother was unclean and could not enter the church. So not 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 alone could could like in this context, if the women couldn't show up, like they like they stayed at home to pray over the baby. I, I wonder what it looked like with an all-man service here. <laughs> Would anybody praise? But I mean, and I know you ain't got the yelling scream out. I just wonder what it would look like to have an all-male service. At the end of her time of separation, she and her husband were to bring a lamb for the burnt offering. Right? So it's like after the woman set out, then they were the, they were supposed to go up and smoke. Y'all remember that one, Leviticus one. After the woman's time, the husband and the wife were to bring a lamb for a burnt offering and a dove, a dove and a pigeon for a sin offering. The priest would sacrifice these animals and declare her to be clean. Right? Why did this say, Pastor? Why say declare her to be clean? Are you saying that giving birth? Is is like sinful? No. It's messy. Right? And you just brought a, a human being into this world that's gonna have to deal with sin. 
So there's blood on your hands if you don't raise that baby the correct way. Because you just put this child, you know how your children say, they get mad and say sometimes, I ain't asked to be here. <laughs> they are exactly right. They did. They didn't ask to be here. So you have a responsibility to be all that you can be in order to raise them correctly. So now you got to go up and smoke. You got to give yourself back to the Lord because you just put yourself in a situation to be responsible for somebody. If you don't want to be responsible for nobody, don't get married and don't have no children. Then you can just do you. It's just you and the Lord. You and the Lord. But if you don't, if you don't want to make a sacrifice, don't get married, don't have no children. And you also, according to the Ten Commandments, you also responsible for your parents. Especially when they get old. And don't, don't miss, don't, don't miss. That's what I'm saying now. Your parents ain't right and they, they keep you from the Lord. The, the first commandment, y'all know what that is, thou will have no other God. But on down the line, that's when your parents come. Okay? All right. If the lamb was too expensive, the parents could bring a second dove or a pigeon instead. This is what Mary and Joseph did. God was able to work in Mary and Joseph's life because they were obedient to God's word. Jesus was the son of God, but his family still carried out the ceremonies according to God's law. This man was God, and they still had enough. They could have been like, Mary could have been like, man, I just gave birth to the Savior. Y'all can't tell me nothing. I don't want to hear what I, I mean. Which one of y'all gave birth to the Savior? Nobody would y'all shut up. I'm Mary. I do what I want to do. That could have been her posture. That could have been her attitude. But that was not her attitude. Her attitude was still, I'm going to submit to the law of God. I am going to obey. And every time God speaks to me, I'm going to think deeply about it. Because he says it again, and she says it again, the word says it again, that she thought deeply about what God was saying in the 51st verse of Luke. Jesus was not born to live above the law. Instead, he fulfilled it perfectly. Yes, I know that you saved by faith. Yes, I know that God has grace and mercy. But just like my sister said, certain things, when she was talking about her tithe, certain things are in place because it's good practice. It stirs something on, it teaches you something spiritually about yourself and about the character of your heart. Even though God don't need your money, when you give your money, it teaches you something about you. God know about him, but he's trying to see about you. He's trying to see, can I call you faithful? So that's why I say Jesus could have been like, he didn't buck on the law. He tried to fulfill the law. If you telling me to walk this way, if you telling me to be in fellowship, if you telling me to be holy, if you telling me to pray over my kids, if you telling me to love my wife like Christ loved the church, if you telling me not to provoke my children to anger, right? I'm going to obey the law. God is in the process of redeeming 
But we have to be willing. We have to be about the process of sacrifice. That's what Leviticus is all like. The book keeps saying the same thing over and over again. For every situation, and it's just clicking in my head because my father has been telling me this since I was little. He will always say, for everything you gain, you got to give up something. But for every situation that's a mess, it's going to require a sacrifice to get out of it. Big picture, Jesus did the once and for all sacrifice. Small picture, there are day-to-day sacrifices that you're going to have to make. There are small sacrifices that you're going to have to make in order to get out of your mess. And let me tell you what that produces, and then I'm going to be done. Um, James, I like, for real, I'm about to be done quick. And I say this. When you keep reading in Luke 2, once you get past the, the, the 24th verse, there, there is a verse, I, I didn't write it down, but there's a verse that says, every year after Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph would always go, I want to say to Jerusalem, for Passover. Y'all know what Passover is? Remembering what God did in Exodus, where he, they applied the blood of the lamb to the door, and God took them out of bondage and slavery. The word says that every year, Mary and Joseph participated in Passover. And when Jesus turned 12, that's the year that Jesus gets lost. And they think that he with the relatives. So that says something too. That means that Jesus was a part of a family of believers. Not only did my mom and him go, the reason he got lost, because, you know, on the traveling, they just in the caravan, they thinking Jesus with auntie or somebody. So they really not checking for him, just like, like my son at my mama's house. I'm not really worried about what he's doing right now. I just think that's where he is. So this is how Jesus gets lost. So I bring that up because he was a part of a family of believers. He was traveling with people who loved the Lord who went to Passover. Well, anyway, the word says that when he was 12 and he gets lost, his parents go back to find him. And this is when Jesus said... This is the 49th verse. It says, how is it that you sought me, that you were looking for me? Right? Was she not that I must be about my father's business? Why are you looking for me? Don't you know that I'm about my father's business? Jesus didn't just get like that. It started back on the seventh day when he was circumcised and his mother gave him that name and was thinking deeply and was praying over him. So by the time he got 12, by the time he got to the age of accountability, he was like, I'm about my father's business. And that's why it shouldn't surprise us why it takes our children so long to mature. I thank God for my son. While he's still in his 20s. There's some people out here in their 40s who still don't know Jesus. Right? But the seeds that were planted, right, he, 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 he turned, God turned it around for him now in 2023, but them seeds was planted long ago, even before I was in the picture. When it was just him and his mama, when it was just him and Brother Roosevelt walking the floor with him. God had that planned out for him way back then, back in 1995. It started way back then. I can't stand here and say that he would be sitting here today 
If somebody hadn't did the work planted the seed back then, y'all better stop playing about your responsibility with your children. Life is a messy business, and Satan wants to take them out and you out. If you don't have the tools, if you don't have the tools to prepare your children for what's coming, it's nobody's fault but your mom. God's instructions are clear. So I close with this. I close with that, that idea. The word says that every year, it's the 41st verse. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. That means every year, at least once a year, they had the mind to celebrate deliverance, to celebrate what God had done, to say, God, I'm going to give you I'm going to give you honor for breaking me out. I'm going to give you honor for, 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 for saving me, for saving my family. I'm going, to, I'm going to recount how this could have been. Imagine the shame Joseph probably felt for marrying a woman that was pregnant with a child that went here. But to see his son grow up at 12 and say, man, I'm about my father being in the, in the temple schooling the rabbis at 12. Imagine the honor. So that might have been 12 years of people like, you know that ain't even his son. You know, you know, you know they say God got her pregnant. Imagine the, 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 the justification and the validation that Joseph felt when he started to see Jesus working in ministry. That's the same validation that I see when I see my son praising God and praying that Bible study. And, and trying to get his house in order for his wife and his child. Right? It's nothing like seeing the fruits of your, of your labor. But he, well, how old are you? It took 20 something. But that don't matter. Life is a messy business. Life is a messy business. So in order to get out of our mess, we got to be intentional about obeying the word of God. The whole word of God, not just the parts that you want. We obey when we think a blessing is coming our way. But I'm talking about obeying the whole word of God. That's the only way you're going to get out your mess. Amen. I'm going to give y'all a teaser. So over the next two sermons, we got a sermon with dealing with dead things. And then we got a sermon dealing with the impurities that men have. Sexual impurities. Mess. Yeah, that make y'all want to go read Leviticus, don't it? <laughs> 13 and 14. Amen. Y'all come on and give the Lord a hand for it. Thank you.